We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me wanna. franchise fit that I'm going with is the Buffalo Bills. And the reason's simple. You've got a quarterback that's a little erratic who can throw it 100 yards. Why not give him a monster who can run? And that's exactly what DK Metcalf is. At 6'4", 230 pounds, there are rumors that he is clocking 439 to 4'4", right now in his training. I think he's going to put on a show. And you know what? About that. He can go get that football that Josh Allen needs. Everybody to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Older Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Lance Zerline from NFL Network. Chris, we have reached the place where people are wasting precious oxygen talking about guys practicing for what is essentially running exercise and not actual football. Right, it's your favorite uh it's your favorite time of year, the uh, the NFL Combine. I'm a little under the weather. I got a cold, and uh, I told you earlier before we started recording, but uh, everyone else should hear it. For those that don't know, when Drew comes over, I generally have a bag of potato chips open on my counter, and Drew just dresses the hell out of them. Taco sauce, <laughs> horseradish, mustard, I am a hot sauce. Connoisseur. I am I am a pioneer in the realms of condiment usage. I was getting nothing out of my Ricolas at work today. And so at lunch, I went over to Dollar General and bought halls and some honey. And I was dressing each halls with honey. And it made like, him yes. think of me. Yes, like you with potato chips. Because nobody – who does that? Who puts honey on a cough drop? Just like who puts taco sauce and horseradish mustard on a salt and vinegar chip? Listen, don't judge me. <laughs> Well, look at your hair. You can't tell me what to do. I have excellent hair. Folks, we've reached one of my least favorite parts of the entire football season, the pre-draft process. I feel like I I imagine that this is how, like, just, ugh. As if the games didn't matter. 
<laughs> I'm just being clubbed. I'm just being clubbed to death over here by nonsense. Nonsense news, quote unquote, that isn't isn't meaningful. Doesn't mean a damn thing. None of this matters. None of none of any of it matters. And yet they fill up the air. They fill up, they, the talking heads, you, the bloggers, you, the magazine, and the newspaper writers, you fill up the atmosphere with all of this nonsense that ultimately means nothing. Most of it, 85% of it means absolutely nothing, and it drives me insane. And then I got to deal with the fact that there is no tangible sports left. I mean, folks, since the Sabres have fallen apart, the Queensland Reds rugby squad has become my new off-season sport of deference, okay? That's what I turn to to satisfy my thirst for competition during the off-season for football now. I can't even trust the Buffalo Sabres to be competent for one complete off-season. That's it. So now it's rugby. And their next game, it's on at 3.45 a.m. on Saturday. They're playing what is the rugby equivalent of the New England Patriots. This team, the Crusaders, has won the championship more times than the Bills have made the playoffs in their franchise history. It's incredible. So if any of you out there are feeling ballsy and want to watch it alongside me, just shoot us a DM. I'll give you the info on where I stream it from. Now, Chris, there's something I want to open this show with a discussion on. Friend of the show, Reed Ferguson, shoots us a tweet, and it's it's a link to someone else's picture, and it got a huge laugh out of me personally. I, I did as well. My first thought was, why didn't I think of this? There, somebody tweeted out photos of an Uber driver who's driving around out there, and when you get into his vehicle, he hands you a menu. And you can select from a menu what kind of ride you want to have. He offers different riding experiences, asks for your preference in music. And I mean, first of all, talk about forward thinking. Okay. And I mean, this is outside the box stuff here. He's trying to differentiate himself from everybody else on the block. And it got me to thinking, Chris, first of all, let's catalog what we know about you. Okay, you have the interpersonal skills of a hornet, right? That, that that's a fact. Would you agree? I mean, sure. I mean, I've never, I've never sh- shook hands with a hornet. I don't know what they're like, but they seem boring. <laughs> you have either really awesome or really terrible hair. I mean, you literally look like Taxi Driver, but you don't know that reference. No, I don't. I don't at all. Oh, my the God. only people that. Folks, he has a mohawk yeah, with the sides of his head shaped. Yeah, the only pe- the only person that legitimately hates my hair is your wife. <laughs> which, which, oh yeah, and course. she should. Uh, yeah, great. Oh my god, a married woman uh, hates my hair. I'm so devastated. I'll never have a chance. Oh, I don't give a fuck. And your taste in music is questionable at best. No, my taste. Is- <laughs> Nobody has a better taste in music than I do. And I was Ubering Saturday, and I Ubered somebody to Helium. They literally had to take a picture of my hair. They loved it so much. I don't think they loved it. I no, think they did. I think they were... T- I, 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 t- I drove them like two miles, and they tipped me five bucks because, A, I was taking them to Helium. Because with a haircut like that, they figure you're probably standing in the soup line. No, nah, because I took, <laughs> I took them to Helium, and I let them know the all the rules to Helium, what to do in, inside of Helium, and they tipped me five bucks. 
for only a couple of miles. So knowing all this about you, it makes me it immediately made me question what what would your menu consist of, Chris? I'm just trying to figure what the Chris Kruger Uber ride menu would consist of. I mean, first of all, I'm picturing taste in music. If anybody were to circle rap, I almost feel like that's just there for profiling purposes. You would just kick them out of your vehicle. The only thing the rap related that I have in my car, I do have like 80s rap, your Run DMC, Curtis Blow, stuff like that, Sugar Hill Gang. But then, but like, as far, yeah, as far as like, you picture taxi driver listening to Sugar Hill Gang. But as far as like updated stuff, I have like, uh, I like the, the, the rap, the rap rock crossover of like a Fever 333 or Almost Kings. Oh Jesus! Yeah, yeah. Your bands no one's ever heard of for but, good reason. But I, I did take I did Uber some people maybe like two weeks ago, and uh, they were like, "Is this?" They were like, "Is this System of a Down?" Because I was playing him "Chop Suey" by Richard Cheese. I don't know. Do you not know who that? I is? know who Richard, Richard Cheese. Che- is. For those that you don't know, Richard Cheese is a he does cover songs and takes all all sorts popular rock, rap, country, and converts them into a lounge song. And they're like, is this System of a Down, Chop Suey? Oh, yeah, it's Richard Cheese. And then they're like, turn it up. And they loved it. And then it went to REO Speedwagon, next song. I turned it down. And they're like, you're not going to turn down REO Speedwagon. And I'm like, all right. And then I just cranked it to 25. See, see, so, Chris, this is where having a menu could come in handy. So just trying to figure out what the different categories of ride you could offer. Please tweet us if you have ideas. If you have ideas out there, tweet us at rides Chris could put on his ride menu because we're going to institute this as a thing. I mean, me, I'm looking at the, you know, I'm, I'm categorizing it in a few ways. I'm looking at, uh, uh, what do you want to call it? Bank robbery ride? Do you want the ride that will get you where you're going as if you stole something? That is a comment in my uh, on my profile of uh, this guy could be a getaway driver if he wanted to. Do you want the driving Miss Daisy experience in which Chris drives as slowly as possible, offers you a Werther's, and also tries to talk like Morgan Freeman? Um, <laughs> do you want the mildly offensive, moderately offensive, or just simply insensitive ride? Because Chris can provide you all of those. It's folks. If you have any con- ideas for Chris's new ride menu concept, oh, I'm, t- I'm totally doing this at Rock Power Report on Twitter. You, it, you got, you guys have time. I'm not Ubering this weekend, but next weekend I definitely will. Please tweet us your suggestions. I'd love to hear them. Jesus, Chris, let's let's get this over with. We're going to launch into the Bills news update. <laughs> folks, there's literally almost nothing worth talking about. Nothing is happening this time of year. It's it's the worst time of the year to be a football fan if you don't give a shit about the pre-draft process. With that said, the Buffalo Bills put out a press release that raised a lot of eyebrows around here. They are looking for somebody to be the next Billy Buffalo. They put it out there into the ether of the internet. <laughs> An open call to find their next mascot. And I have to wonder... What the hell is wrong with this football team? Well, if 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 they were going to hire you, you wouldn't have to wear the mascot head because you already have buffalo teeth. <laughs> Folks, there we saw some tweets come in, so you know, Chris tweeted out, "Who would like to see Drew just yeah. show up for this thing?" 
I just picture like I picture Will Ferrell Blades of Glory as the <laughs> part of the grublets. <laughs> You're just like back backstage drink like drinking and drinking inside the costume. Yeah, inside the costume puking. What here's the thing, folks. When you think about what it takes to be a mascot, I mean, we see Billy Buffalo, which first of all, Chris, before we even launch into that, what good does a football ma- when you're at a hockey game that has 18,000 people and Sabretooth comes out, okay, you can find him in an 18,000-seat arena. You can easily find the mascot, and he serves a purpose because you can see him. When you are in an 80,000-person football field, a stadium, can you even see, Chris, from our seats, can you see Billy Buffalo? I honestly don't think I saw him at all last season. Okay, so then do you give a shit whether he's even there or not? No, I don't. I'd like to argue there is no point for football mascots anymore. Those days are over. No one cares. What's a relevant mascot? I, I don't. I, until I saw this press release, I think I'd forgotten they existed. I vaguely remember somebody in the early 90s. I don't know if any of you uh, went to Buffalo Stampede Games. No! Roller Hockey International in the yeah, early... Chris, because most of us don't view roller hockey like a real sport. Okay, well, they they literally <laughs> had, like, some mass... I rem- I, his name was Claude. He didn't dress up. <laughs> his name was Claude, he didn't dress up. He didn't dress up. He had a trumpet. He would <laughs> literally run down the stairs of the odd and jump into the glass. And I've seen players on the floor, like, get scared because of it. That's an actual thing. I'm not kidding. That's an actual thing. People will back me up, tweet at us, if you remember Claude with the Buffalo Stampede. This is too much. Oh, God. So my question is. That's what we should have is a real fan. We've all. No, no, no Billy Buffalo. Just you, the person, as like a fireman Ed. Yeah, but see, I'm already fireman Ed, and people hate me enough for that. All right? There's there's something to be said for being a mascot. Chris, perfect example, the home opener this year. One of the hottest games on record. We left at halftime. No, we, we left, left in the half- third quarter. We left like at halftime. We left in the third we quarter. We did that quite a bunch. Because yeah, it was nonsense. Either way, I'm looking at this from a standpoint of if I'm the mascot, what's going to be asked of me to take on this job? I mean, it's all well and good. I mean, we're friends with Greg Trelone, flag holder. He loves his job. He loves being able to stand on the sideline and run around in the end zone with a flag when they score. Now imagine doing what he does, except doing it more often and doing it while wearing a hundred, maybe not a hundred, but another 60 to 70 pounds worth of furry equipment. That sounds like my fucking nightmare. That's hell on earth. You're going to put me on a 104 degree field and then tell me I got to run around in a suit? Absolutely not. I have to show up to charity events dressed up in this nonsense? That sounds terrible. I, if I was Billy Buff, I would probably just scare children. That would be, that would be, I would just like run after toddlers. I guess I just, I question why we need Billy Buffalo, and I wonder how many people out there actually view him as the quote-unquote mascot for the team. I mean, like I said, in terms of the Sabres, when you think about what a mascot's supposed to be, it's the thing, 
It's a visual aid to go along with the sports franchise. Sabretooth is highly visible during every single game. And he also... You identify him, you can pick him out in a crowd, you can see where he is whenever he comes out of a tunnel. Because the arena is so small. And that's just the nature of hockey. He also has the drum. So when, like, during, in between plays, face-offs, you hear him beating the drum and getting the crowd into it, and then they're playing the music with it. And The problem is a football arena, a football stadium is too big to do that. No one can see. They're just like, who's, what do you, what's this noise coming through the speakers? And you look around, you can't see some idiot on the other side of the field from you in a furry suit. So you don't care. You forget that this guy even exists. So for those of you out there who are considering going out for this, God bless you. But understand that most of us as fans who attend these games have no idea. Have no idea who or what Billy Buffalo is or why he even exists. And so with that, folks, I in this show over the last few weeks, we've covered a lot of things. We've covered you know free agency from both the offensive and defensive side of the ball. And as we start down this road talking about the draft, Last week we had Dean Kindigan, who was here to tell it. We kind of went over theory as far as the application of the data on our scouting patterns and things that our GM has said and things that we're, we know the team is actively looking at and how that might shape what goes on during the offseason. But there's a facet of this that I think I might have glossed over in terms of restricted free agency. And so to help us out with that tonight, we have Mr. Paul Wineski from Hashtag Sports. Paul, how are you doing? Hey, hey, what's going on? What's up, Nada. Folks, for those of you who aren't familiar, Paul is the co-host of the Sunday Drive. They are a YouTube show. They, they, they're both Bills fans, both he and his partner Mario Granada from Hashtag Sports. And they essentially, every Sunday, they sit down in a car, they get some coffee, they ride around for a few hours, and they talk football. And Not they talk, just any car, it's a Kia. <laughs> it's a Kia. Yeah, it's a Kia. A fine yeah. Korean automobile. Yeah, <laughs> That fine machine. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so with that, he, he came on to join us tonight for a couple reasons, but we wanted to start this out with a conversation about restricted free agency and how it kind of may shape the way our roster is currently constructed and what it means for us going forward. It might change your mind as far as where we sit today. Yeah, so um, I think restricted free agency is one of those topics that kind of scares a lot of people, right? Because it sounds like it could be really complicated, um, but I'm, I'm here to tell you that it's not. Um, and as far as restricted free agency goes, the Bills have actually a phenomenal layout for how their roster is constructed, constructed regarding restricted free agents. Uh, we had actually cut an episode on that this week. Uh, so it's not just Sundays that we have episodes now. We, we cut episodes, and they're released on Monday, Tuesday, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So we're doing about five, six episodes a week um, over at Hashtag Sports on YouTube. Um, and this was one of them. So this one, I think, came out yesterday, I believe. Um, and what it does is we kind of walk through what a restricted free agent is. And there's actually two different types of restricted free agents. There's restricted free agent and then an exclusive rights free agent, uh, restricted free agent. Um, and they're really, really fascinating. So I'll just give you an example, right? Uh, Logan Thomas is an example. He's a restricted free agent. So what that means is Logan Thomas has under four years of service, right? So he's only got under four years of accrued NFL season. So what that means is the Bills can uh, put a round 
tender on him, right? Um, and what that means is if another team wanted to sign him, uh, Mike Gillisley is a great example of this, right? The Bills put a fifth-round tender on Mike Gillisley. He was a restricted free agent. Uh, the Patriots came and offered a contract. Obviously, Mike Gillisley took it. The Bills declined to match. Uh, the Bills got a fifth-round pick, which ultimately turned into Matt Milano, and um, the Patriots got Mike Gillisley, restricted free agent, right? Um, an exclusive rights free agent something a little bit different. Um, I'll give you an example. Chris Hogan, back a long time ago. Did you know he played lacrosse? Um, so Chris Hogan. <laughs> <didn't> hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, so Chris Hogan, many, many years ago, um, when he was initially with the Bills, he was on a one-year contract. The next year, he was an exclusive rights free agent. And basically what that means is he can't negotiate with any team. He can't talk to anybody. The Bills own his rights. So the Bills could offer him a league minimum contract, and he had to sign it. If he did not sign it, the bill still retained his right. So you're stuck. If you have under two years of service, you are really stuck in the NFL. Um, and really, the, the organization that signed you holds all the cards. So if you have one year or two years worth of service or under, um, you're an exclusive rights free agent. That's Eddie Yarborough, right? It so will... the Bills wanted to offer Eddie Yarborough a league minimum contract. They could, and he has to sign it. Well, and that's one of the interesting things about, uh, to your point, I mean, I remember back to when we were talking to Reed Ferguson. We literally had him on this show a few days before his new contract signing was announced. And it was cool because hearing him talk about it, you know, and he kind of described his situation to us. And he said, look, the team still has the ability to come to me with a deal that I essentially, you know, I have to sign. I have to sign it because I don't have enough time in the league if I want to play next season. With that said, he was fairly confident an extension was going to happen, and it did. So for other players on this roster, and I mean, I think that that kind of, when you think about things through that lens, through team-controlled contracts, they carry a significant amount of value to a franchise. I mean, you're talking about Eddie Yarbrough. Eddie Yarbrough, I mean, he's he hasn't put up eye-popping stats. He's a role player on this team. He plays special teams. He plays as a rotational defensive end. He gets decent pressure. He, you know, is okay at setting the edge. He's a jack-of-all-trades kind of a guy. You know, master of none, if that's what you want to call him. So, but for a guy like that, it's interesting that the team has the ability to put itself in a position where they don't have to, right out of the gate, make sure he's re-signed. They can play this process out. They can kind of feel things out in the free agent market before determining whether or not they're actually going to bring that guy back. And they right. know that they're not negotiating against the field the way you would be with an unrestricted free agent. Right. And in Eddie Arborough's case, right, um, why wouldn't you want a guy like him in league minimum at, in your camp, right? Like there's no reason not to bring it back, but, you know, you have the option to wait. And it's not really 2019 that you're going to see a lot of this. Like Deion Lacey just signed a one-year contract. Right. Well, he was an exclusive rights free agent. He kind of had to sign a deal. Um, so the team offered uh, Deion Lacey an extension. It was just one year, right? So next year, Deion Lacey is going to be a restricted free agent. If you actually look down the road into 2020, Deion Lacey is a restricted free agent. Dean Marlowe is a restricted free agent. Isaiah McKenzie is a restricted free agent. And as far as exclusive rights free agents, so guys that the Bills could just re-sign if they want, in 2020, you have... Room is an exclusive rights free agent. Ryan Lewis, the cornerback. Levi Wallace is an exclusive rights uh, free agent. And 
and uh, Robert Foster's an exclusive rights free agent. So there you go. You have a whole core of who you would name as the nucleus of this young team going forward, and they're all on very team-controlled, cheap, cheap, cheap contracts. But the team really isn't going to lose them unless they had designs to lose. Now, like with restricted free agents, we talk about those round tenders. The only way that it works, you could put a first-round tender on a guy, you can put a second-round tender on the guy. Now, that impacts the salary that they make that year, right? Or you could put the original drafted round tender on them, right? That's how that works. So, you know, a guy like Isaiah McKenzie, you're probably not going to put a first- or second-round tender on him. You're going to put the original round tender that he was drafted by with the Broncos. Now, if the team wants to sign him off your, you know, free agent list, then you're going to get that draft pick back. So I think um, in his case really it was fascinating f- how it works. So I guess, Paul, when you put it to, when you put it like that, you know, obviously there's a lot of people going into this offseason who are looking at it as in, in terms of we have ninety million dollars right around. We'll have right around ninety million dollars to spend. And I know there's a lot of fans out there thinking to themselves, we have to spend all of it now. <laughs> and, and I mean, next well, what is it? Next year we're looking at being the team with the most cap space as of today. You know, barring any long-term deals that get signed between now and now and the end of the month or at the end of March. So with that, it's important to note that these restricted free agent players, your Robert Fosters, your Isaiah McKenzie's, your Jason Crooms, guys like that, I mean, last year those, correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, but weren't those some of the players that literally paced our offense for production? Yeah, exactly, right? So I know that it's, it's sort of a joking phrase that Dean went dumpster diving for talent this year, but that's realistically what he did, right? He was just grabbing anybody that he could that was basically league minimum um, because you didn't have a whole lot of cap space, and you wanted to have a little bit of money to start letting guys go uh, and being able to take that dead cap. I know they took a big dead money bomb this year to kind of be, you know, to, to be rid themselves of some, of some you know, mistakes of, of, you know, regime's past. But, um, you know, this is what happens, Right. So some of the veterans that are on the team that you might have thought were kind of on their last legs, uh, they stuck it out um, because you couldn't really afford to get rid of them, right? So um, when you take a look at where they are and where they're going, um, you know, the, the core nucleus of their team from a young player standpoint, I mean, you look at Milano, he's still got two years left on his deal. You have Trey White, he's got three years left on his deal. Levi Wallace is going to be an exclusive rights-free agent uh, in 2020. Foster's an exclusive rights-free agent. McKenzie is going to be a restricted free agent in 2020. You still have two more years of Zay Jones. And you still have two more years of Deion Dawkins. So you take a look at the way that this, you know, the, the core group of your guys that this regime has brought in, um, you, you, you still have them for a while. Um, and they're all producing to a point where you would never even think of getting rid of them. And I guess that's the important thing. When you look at guys like Robert Foster, having, having a GM, or Levi Wallace for that matter, Having a GM who has shown that, hey, maybe it's luck, maybe it's skill, maybe it's a mix of both, that when you go dumpster diving, if you're a guy who can chisel out some value out of some of these players who nobody's heard of, they're practice squad caliber guys, they're, you know, last week Dean Kindig made a really good point that some of the guys that the Bills have spent time scouting that they've sent guys to go visit with kids at JUCO schools or lower-ranking D1 schools like Northern Alabama University. These are guys who are widely considered 
Yeah, round seven to priority undrafted free agents. So it's worth noting that we're sending guys out there on scouting visits to talk to these types of players, specifically because if you can hit on a handful of those, you max, you're helping yourself from a salary cap standpoint because you Absolutely. have the ability to massage their contracts. You know, Guys like if Robert Foster ends up panning out, you've got a wide receiver who could put up number two to number three wide receiver numbers for you that you don't actually have to pay I don't. I don't. All contracts are real. All this money is real, but a real, sizable, tangible amount of money against your cap until what? Four years, five years from now? If. Yeah, effectively. I mean, you look at Robert Foster. He'll be league minimum in 2020. League minimum now, right? So it'll be league minimum in 2019. League minimum in 2020. In 2021, he'll be a restricted free agent. So you'll still retain his rights. And because, again, he was undrafted, um, you know, he would get a low restricted round tender if you even want to play that game. You probably just sign him through an extension at that point. But really, you're, you're almost three years away from him even making over a million dollars a season, even if he puts up top ten wide receiver numbers. Well, he doesn't you know, have to. And here's the, here's the crazy thing. He, last year, he put up the same similar numbers. I shouldn't say the same, but almost the same numbers as Sammy Watkins did. And I guess that's why I underscore being pragmatic when it comes to this type of approach as far as how you build a roster. You get Sammy Watkins, who had 519 yards receiving and four touchdowns. And then you had Robert Foster, who finished with like 519 and three touchdowns. If those are the types of productions I'm getting, but I'm paying one guy $7.4 million for his contribution, and I'm paying this guy over here $700,000, I mean, there's right. it's not a competition who I'd prefer to have on my roster. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. And that's why, that's why you don't see a lot of these guys who are restricted free agents or exclusive rights free agents eligible ever trade, right? Because the team has too much control. Um, if a team were to trade somebody like this, let's just... Out. Let's just say the, the Bills wanted to trade Keith Ford, just as an example, right? Let's say somebody called and said, hey, we like Keith Ford. You know, we want him. Well, Keith Ford is on your team in 2019, he's on your team in 2020, and he's a restricted free agent in 2021. He's going to cost the team more because that team is getting not only two years at basically league minimum, but they also have the option to give him, you know, to tender him in 2021. Um, and again, at Basically, no, and basically for, for no money. Um, so that's why you don't see guys like this traded very often because there's so much team control. Well, and that's huge when it comes to roster building. And that's just one more facet of all of this that I think Bills fans kind of have to take. I don't want to say you don't, I shouldn't say take under consideration, but don't take it for granted. Okay? So if this offseason the team isn't as aggressive as you'd like and you say, well, we didn't do this and we didn't do that. It's a long offseason, A, and B, there's a bigger picture here that you have to look at when it comes to how to build a financially sound yet still competitive football team. And with that, Drew, I just, I just want to point out, the Bills have all this salary cap room, and if my memory serves me correct, without looking it up, they've got a full roster of players. Their roster's full. I think they're at 54, if my memory serves me correctly. So they have all the space with a full roster. So anybody that they add at this point, yeah, they've got 54 guys on roster right now. So 
So all the money that everybody's talking about, understand that when you start looking at the 20, you know, this upcoming season, there's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. There's 22 guys making over a million dollars on the roster. That's it. Well, and that's the crazy thing. We talked about it the, uh, the few, I think two weeks ago when we broke down the defense and just how many defensive starters are still under contract for the next two years. It's like, look, we, mm-hmm. t- in 2019, we are already fielding our defense short, just short of a defense, a starting defensive tackle and a starting cornerback. I don't know a whole lot of defenses that can say that. And that's why when, you, and I think that's what's important to look at when you look at the grand scheme of what, I mean, free agency is only two weeks away. That's the crazy thing. It's two weeks away from the, from the actual free agency start date. And when you look at where we fall in terms of cap space, it's easy to get caught up in the number. When you look at it, you say, okay, we've got 90. Well, we're third in the NFL. Okay. We're third in the NFL with almost our entire starting defense still under contract. We have $90 million in cap space with all of those guys there. That's a blessing because you look at a team like the Jets, who I think are number one, if not number two. I think it's the Colts and the Jets in terms of cap space. And the I think the Jets lost 26 players of their 53. So they have 26 game day roster players that they have to replace with that hundred and something million dollars that they have. That's a very different place than we are with $90 million in our pocket, an offense that scored enough points to go 6-10, and 10, and a defense that's returning most of its starters. That, that I, I like way, where we sit today. And a lot of what's going to change is going to be dictated by the free agency coming up here in a few weeks and the NFL draft, which, unfortunately for me, is really hitting its stride. I mean, guys, the draft, I don't know if I can say this, and I don't know if I can make this any clearer. The draft is like a spiritual vampire to me. It just sucks. The entire process, the run-up to it, some people love it, but to me, it literally feels like it's sucking the life out of me. I I, I can't handle it. And, Paul, that we're going to get to the meat and potatoes of why you're here tonight. Allow me to launch into a bit of an editorial here because we're going to be talking about the 2019 Underwear Olympics and why anyone anywhere should actually give a shit about the NFL Combine. It's it's the biggest story this week. Folks, we are about to take in what might be one of the ultimate absurdities in all of professional sports. And no, I'm not talking about the opening ceremonies of the Winter Olympics. I'm not talking about women's basketball, and I'm not talking about figure skating. Folks, the NFL Combine. I swear, it literally started because teams needed a way to tamper with impending free agents and figured all the fat guys in spandex would work as the perfect distraction. And then they suddenly realized, holy shit, we can sell ads during this thing. I mean, I have a hard time figuring out why so many people agonize over this event. Like you, Paul, literally take time off every single year to watch it. It it blows my mind that people out there actually take that much time to watch this nonsense play out on television and follow along with every talking head on earth who's live tweeting the damn thing. I mean, Paul, what is it about the NFL Combine? 
so it's like the combine itself is is fun for me because you know when when we hit draft season and and you know we we start getting into into you know free agency coming up like you know I'm sitting here and I'm pulling film from all the impending free agents that you know I want to take a look at I go watch college football all year I go back and watch film on those guys so like you get an idea as to um, you know who a lot of these players are on the field um, the combine is sort of this fun exercise where you can look and say, okay, let's put all these guys in a room and then let's put them all on the same treadmill and see how fast they can really run, you know? So um, that's what's fun for me is there's some guys who are going to test great that are just terrible at football and people will lose their mind. And it's just really fun to know ahead of time who that is um, because, again, there's a lot of guys that you'll hear blow up, I mean, absolutely blow up in media. And uh, if you've been paying attention all year, the combine should be confirming things that you see on film, not making you go back and look again. Right? I mean, if you're really doing your job, you should know how all this is going to play out. But that's the thing that drives me insane. I, I mean, okay, 2018. Let's just use that as an example. Last year, offensive tackle Orlando Brown, coming out of Oklahoma, <laughs> didn't give up a sack his senior year, playing left tackle for Baker Mayfield. Had what a lot of a lot of draft pundits were referring to as the worst combine in history. For whatever the fuck that's worth, okay? He gets drafted in the third round by the Ravens. He goes on to be a starter for that team and do pretty friggin' well. Meanwhile, there's three players at the same offensive tackle position drafted ahead of him who didn't even see the fucking field. Could not get on an NFL field. On the flip side of that, let's go back in time, okay? Wide receiver Darius Hayward Bay. The guy shows up at the draft and at six foot two and over 200 pounds runs a 4-3-40 at the combine. And he looked so explosive as a runner and look how big and how fast that that crazy old bastard L. Davis could not be held in check. I swear to God, to this day, this is how I picture it happening in the Raiders war room. When they drafted him in the first round, he was the seventh overall pick in the draft. I, I foresee a room and a bunch of Raiders executives and the GM and everybody's talking and the scouting staff's talking and they're going over, okay, here's all these players that are available for us. L. Davis likes fast guys. He saw that combine. He saw how fast that six foot two guy was. And before anyone could do anything about it, he's, he's ambling his way down the hallway with Hayward Bay's name written down on the outside of an envelope. And because nobody was paying attention to the old man, he ended up being the seventh overall pick. That's the only way it makes sense to me. He saw it at the combine, fell in love, and that's why he was a first round draft pick. And what, what was he since? Paul, what did he go on to accomplish? Yeah, well, I mean, that was always sort of the fun, right? Is that, you know, if you ever wanted to get drafted in the first round, just go run a 4-3 at the combine and the Raiders would draft you, right? Because if you look at, like, the guys that were taken immediately after him, Eugene Monroe went to the Jaguars, B.J. Raji went to the Packers, Michael Crabtree went to the 49ers, the Bills took Aaron Maven, um, Arapco went 13th, um, Brian Cushing went 15th. Like, there were some guys, I mean, Alex Mack went 21st, there were guys that immediately would have impacted that Raiders team. But, again, you run a 4-3 at the combine, and it makes a lot of people – it makes the hair on a lot of these scouts' arms stand up, and crazy stuff happens after that. Yeah, Even more recently, it's been John Ross. 
Oh, Jesus. Ninth overall to the Bengals. Yeah, and now he's on the trading yeah. block. Ooh. Even though his, what, what, what is fastest, his, fastest combine time ever. Isn't his catch, per, Paul, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't his catch percentage similar to Zay Jones's? Very much. And yeah, yet very, people very, are calling very, for us to trade for him. People want the Bills to trade for this failed first round draft pick from the Bengals. What, we saw what happened with Corey Coleman. Are, have we seen enough of us trading for other people's trash? I have. Yeah. God knows I have. Yeah. I, you know, you look at the risk-reward there, and I think that I think they take basically anything. The Bills have 10 draft picks. You know, like at some point, you got to look at, look at saying, oh, I, would we rather, I would picks. rather take two, of the, two, two or three of our final picks and draft kickers. D- do that instead of trading for a fast wide receiver who can't catch the football. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I see. I, I see your point. I see your point. But in John Ross's defense of deep targets, he was almost last in the league for catchable deep targets. Of course, Granted, you I fucking know this. Like Twenty receptions, but that's that's irrelevant. Of course, you know this. You did you come here tonight to embarrass me? Is that what you're trying to do? <laughs> no. The- I don't want John Ross. I just, I just play devil's advocate. Okay. I mean, ultimately, we're talking about an event that's going to take place at Lucas Oil Stadium. I mean, the last time I watched a bunch of guys run around on a field for this long with so little actual purpose, that was a soccer game. And this will probably end up being just as boring. I mean, I think that everyone out there, or at least a third of the people listening to this podcast right now, can agree that they would get far more entertainment as far as, you know, there's more entertainment value to be had, people watching at your local gym, than anything you're going to see this weekend on NFL Network. You know, Saturday, i got to go get my hair cut. You want to come watch? I would rather watch that. I would <laughs> rather watch some hairdresser have to carve your head to look like the guy from Taxi Driver, which you don't even get the reference because no. you don't know movies. No, never heard of it. Oh, my God. It, Chris... <sighs> Calm down over there. Like Chris not knowing movie references, death and taxes, the combine is here. Okay? And so, Paul, we brought you here tonight to help me cope and kind of give us some information as far as... Because I feel like our listeners shouldn't be deprived of this information, regardless of how cynical I am. So, when we get into talking about this, I mean, first and foremost, everything kicks off with these interviews. Okay? I don't understand. Let's start here. Coaches and GMs get on a podium or get in front of cameras and microphones and talk to the media. About what? What are you, what are you saying? What are you even talking about? I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure what the point of the exercise even is. Yes, it makes up a bunch of fancy copy. A lot of flashy videos get put out there. And there's, I don't understand. There's enough out-of-context statements out there already to create enough buzz to keep the lights on at your local newspaper for the next week. But what does it matter, Paul? What is the point? I, I completely side with you that coaches and GMs talking um, uh, to the media are totally pointless, right? They're only there and they're only talking to the media because they're required to uh, because they're there, right? They have to talk to the media. They don't have a choice. Um, so... There's a, it's just all web service, man. You can't believe anything a general manager says from December to April. It's, it's all, it's just all nonsense. I mean, Paul, there's nothing that they can tell you that you could put any stock in. 
Paul, I'm actively trying to avoid this kind of stuff. And yet, here's what I know. Here's what I know. A person who's actively trying to avoid the combine. I know that from these GM interviews, at least seven different GMs told the media they were interested in building a team that was quote-unquote tougher to play against. No shit! Holy fuck! You would be you would be the shortest tenured GM in NFL history if you came out and told a group of reporters that you were interested in building the NFL's most expensive doormat. Okay? You'd lose your fucking job in a second. Secondly, apparently... The Cardinals GM, Steve Kimes, made a statement about Josh Rosen being their quarterback, quote-unquote, for now. And it's launched full-scale into 20-minute segments on ESPN Radio. Talking about the future of Josh Rosen. Because the guy said two words. Two words. Well, and then and they couple that with all his Instagram, of uh, his Instagram, all the Cardinals references on his Instagram account got deleted. So, of course, everybody just trolled his Instagram account. Like, oh, my God, there's no Cardinal stuff. And then he posts, oh, my Instagram got hacked. Well, I mean, on yeah, one hand, he... plays into the story. On one hand, he comes off as a petty little bitch. When, I mean, when you look yeah. at last year's you know, the post-draft comments and just the things that he said. But at the same time, who gives a shit? It's Instagram. I, oh, my God. <laughs> I, could, I, could, I could throw this beer bottle, but it's Chris's house, and I'll respect his property more than that. And then Mike Mayock, okay? Mike Mayock, NFL draft analyst, somehow turned GM, which might actually go down as my favorite storyline of the 2019 offseason. How, for all the, you know, I, I always used to say, if any of these analysts were any good at what they did, they'd be working for a football team. Some football team would come hire them because they, quote unquote, know everything. Well, it's playing out in front of us, and we're going to see how that turns out. But with that said, he came out and dropped an absolute gem of knowledge on the entire world when he just spent almost five minutes describing how great the spread offense is and gave us his expert opinion on how it's really important to modern teams to find a way to stop the spread offense. Uh Allow me to slow clap for that. Groundbreaking stuff right there, Paul. Yeah. Hey. Mayock, the whole Mayock experiment just makes me giddy, right? Because I've been waiting for this for so long. And it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, I don't want to sound um, cynical, um, but I just don't see any way that this works <laughs> at all, right? You, you take Gruden and you're just going to take Mayock and you think they're ever going to agree on anything ever? Absolutely not. Gruden's in way over his head right now because his offense, it didn't work 10 years ago. It's not going to work now. Um, and you're with, an organization like Oakland that just finally got a stadium to play in two days ago. You know, like, oh, great, now we have a stadium to play in. Congratulations. Like, this is a disaster. I mean, a complete disaster. In my mind, this is going to go one of two ways. Either Mike Mayock is going to be the first guy to ever ride in a hot air balloon. I mean, picture how much that blew everyone's fucking mind. It had to. This guy's in a balloon. He's in a balloon, and he's standing in a basket. You shouldn't be able to do this. Or he's going to be the pilot of the Hindenburg. That's it. Those are the only two ways this ends. And so, but as we watch this all play out, I mean, literally two days of agonizing over coach and GM statements, I legitimately feel like magazines, newspapers, blogs, websites, podcasts, everybody spends so many man hours putting, parsing through the statements, getting video, creating mountains of copy. I think that they're putting... 
if I have an analogy to put to it, they are putting in the work of the crew that's trying to produce the final season of Game of Thrones. And the final product that they're all working towards is the equivalent of the non-Blu-ray version of Smokey and the Bandit. That's it. Because no one gives a fuck. No one should give a fuck. Oh. Oh. I don't... I don't understand. I don't understand, Paul. So, with that said, apparently our coach and our GM talked to the media. <laughs> Is there anything useful that came out of that? Zero. Zero. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Ignore it. It's all nonsense. I saw something about how Sean McDermott said that... I mean, literally, poor Joe Biscalia. I mean, I, I like the guy. I met him at training camp once. He just... He he has to do these things, and he has to answer these questions, and that's part of the reason why I have no interest in being a pro- a professional sports reporter. He's got to sit here and talk to Sean McDermott, and I saw an article at uh, Channel 7 News about his five things McDermott said, and as I scanned through it, the first thing I saw was that McDermott was quoted as saying, well, you know, on a go-forward basis, you know, we'd, uh, we, 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 we would like to, you know, modern offenses have to be a threat to score at least 21 points a game. Wait a minute. You had to dig for that? You had to go interview the coach to get that? And then you bring it to me as if it's something. What the, I feel like that's it. Paul, you have children. I feel like that's what happens when your kid goes and gets a pine cone out of the woods and brings it to you to show you. Like, yeah. you're, you applaud them and you say, hey, nice job, buddy. Thanks, thanks for this. I'm going to treasure it always. And then you throw it back to wherever the fuck it came from. That's the how little toilet matters. paper girl you'll ever use, dude. That's that's all it's good for. <laughs> the roughest toilet paper you'll ever use. I just, I don't understand. And to follow this up, I have four questions that I think are pretty legitimate. I'd like to run them by you, just about the combine as a whole, okay? As an exercise, yeah. since you love it so much, I do. First of all, does the bench press actually matter? Let me outline why I'm uh-huh. asking. In 2018, eventual Buffalo Bill Harrison Phillips, he won the bench press competition with 42 reps. But even playing for a head coach that loves rotating his defensive tackles and a line that was desperate for somebody to step up and step in, Phillips finished with fewer sacks than nine other defensive tackles who participated in the bench press competition, and some of them were drafted well after he was. (laughs) So what's the point? Oh, so the guy can bench press 225 pounds 42 times. He can't bench press a t- he can't bench press an offensive center. He can't bench press his way past a guard. It didn't equate to production on the field, so why are we doing it? Yeah. So, um this the bench is a little bit more of a show than it is anything else, right? So I, I will agree with you there. But there are some positional needs where um you, the bench does make a little bit of a difference. Right, so I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, there's some players that are just never going to test well in the bench. Um, a perfect example coming up this year is Montez Sweat. Montez Sweat is talked about as one of the best speed rushers in this draft. You're going to be able to get him really late in the first round, but he's he's a first round he's a first round uh, first round defensive end. Um, but he's got really long arms, right? So I will tell you, he will not do well in the bench press. If you base your opinion off of if a good edge rusher can do well in the bench press and they're going to be a good edge rusher, you're going to be disappointed because uh, he's going to put up really bad numbers. 
because 225 with the length arms that he has is a lot more weight to push. Then you get a guy like Garrett Bradbury, who is a center that everybody's talking about. I think he did 34 on the bench today. I think it was the second highest number. I could be wrong on that. I'll double check it real quick. Um, but he put up massive numbers for a center, um, you know, and I bet you all Bills fans who have been pining for Garrett Bradbury since the Senior Bowl, they did 34 from NC State. Um, they're going to say, wow, we got to get this guy. we got to get this guy. Well, Garrett Bradbury also has some of the shortest arms in the, of offensive linemen. So he's got less distance to cover that weight. So some of those numbers are a little bit, you know, inflated. Um, I think it makes a difference when you start talking about wide receivers. I know that sounds like a stupid position to really pay attention to, but, you know, watch DK Metcalf put up, you know, 36 on the bench and then go ahead and tell me that he can't get off press coverage, right? Because that's what you're doing in press coverage. You're basically manhandling the guy in front of you. So DK Metcalf drops 30, you know, drops a 30 bomb tomorrow uh, or whenever they're doing the bench. I think, I think wide receivers do it tomorrow. Um, you know, when he drops a 30 bomb, um, you tell me he can't get off press coverage. But go back and look at Zay Jones. And Zay Jones, I, I don't even know if Zay Jones did 10. And can Zay Jones get off press coverage? Nope. Right? There is okay. a correlation, but it's not always in the positions that you think. Well, I, I guess that maybe gives it some merit. All right, Wineski. <laughs> is you're over here just... <laughs> okay. Number two. What are the actual values of combine interviews? I get it. Any job requires an interview. Hey, listen, I wouldn't hire somebody to watch my kids without meeting them first. I'm sure you wouldn't. You wouldn't hire a babysitter for your children on a weekend if you didn't know a little bit about them. And I'm sure you wouldn't hire somebody to manage your money if you didn't at least meet them. See if you could trust them first. A company let uh, you do that, though, right? <laughs> some right? some poor, unfortunate company allowed me to come in there, and but but they interviewed me first. And I wowed everybody except for the guy who ultimately hired me. He didn't, be, he, he didn't believe it, <laughs> that I was capable of, I don't know, being a, I don't know, just being a functional human being. Yeah, you don't look like you can count past 25. Thanks, Chris. It's the teeth. I get it. So with that, you know, Chris, who, if people, see, on the, on the flip side, if people could see you or knew you, they would never get in your car for an Uber ride. <laughs> they would, if they could interview you beforehand, they would stay as far away as possible. So I understand the need to try to feel out who a person is if you're going to make them a millionaire. You're going to put a bunch of money in somebody's pocket. You want to know a little bit about them. But some of the questions that come out of this process are just fucking absurd, okay? You can't tell me that all of this has value. Here are some of my favorites as far as quote-unquote groundbreaking questions that have come out of the combine. Alabama running back Bo Scarborough, he got asked, if he thought God was an Auburn fan. Mind you, Alabama's 8-2 and two against Auburn in the last 10 years. But does it matter whether God's you know, yelling Roll Tide or War Eagle come the Iron Bowl? I don't even know how you, how you answer that. D- there was a defensive end for the Jaguars, Austin Lane. He got asked by one GM, if you were going to murder someone, would you use a gun or a knife? Like, I don't know, maybe they actually care about his decision-making progress, like, process. They want to see him go through the steps of, well, I don't know. Am I outside? Is it dark? Am I far away? Are we... <laughs> like, 
I don't understand, but that that in and of itself is a stupid question I would never answer because I wouldn't want to incriminate myself later on if a situation were to arise. And the gem, Paul, the gem, I think the crown jewel of stupid questions. Baylor offensive tackle Spencer Drango was actually asked, would you share your internet history with us by a head coach? What the wow. fuck kind of question is that? Did... There are metal, they sell. If you go on Amazon, you can find them right now. There are metal alert bracelets, except instead of allergy information engraved on the inside, it just says delete my browser history. That's a legitimate thing that you can go out and purchase if you're really worried about it. I mean, I don't know about you guys, our listeners out there. Opening my internet history would be like opening the fucking Ark of the Covenant for most people with an average sense of decency. I mean, Last Saturday night, I spent two hours after I got home from the bar researching the price of bear traps. And no, I'm not talking about the kind that you catch foxes with. I'm talking about bear traps, okay? They run about $165. If anybody's interested, DM me. I can give you the details. As well as what kind of broadhead tips and carbon fiber shafts are best used in a crossbow when fired at close range, indoors. Why? Because home defense gets my rocks off, okay? It's right up there with Russian dash cam compilations, because they drive like maniacs, and instructions on how to build homemade flamethrowers. Paul, would you give anyone your internet history? How would you even approach answering that question? I think Paul would would, uh, agree with me on this. Uh, Jeff Ireland takes the cake, because he asked Des Bryant if his mom was a whore. (laughs) I don't know if you remember that. Oh yeah, see, sure do. Yeah, is he Sean sure Connery do. from the? Is he Sean Connery from yeah. those Jeopardy sketches on Saturday Night Live? You, you, what are we doing here? You don't remember that? Oh, I remember it. I just didn't know it was him. Yeah. Jesus, Jeff Ireland yeah. and the Dolphins. So, Paul, walk me through this. Why is any of this important? Well, I, I want to add one of one crazy uh, question that gets asked at scouting combines. Um, I talked to Joe Don Duncan. You may not remember Joe Don Duncan, but he was a tight end for Dixie State, the D2 school. Um, but he set records at, uh, at Dixie State. He was at the scouting combine in 2014. So um, I, was able, I was able to talk to him uh, post-scouting combine. And uh, he said one of the things that he got asked by one of the teams was, um, how many uses can you name for a paperclip in 30 seconds? Go. Well, who cares? It's a paperclip. Who cares? I'm not MacGyver. You didn't hire me to defuse bombs and break my way out of jail with a fucking paperclip. You hired me to block people. Right, yeah. Me score touchdown. That's what you want me to do. Me score touchdown. What do you paperclip? Who gives a shit? I don't care. Paperclip. You put papers together. Nobody uses a paperclip anymore. But that's the question that he got asked. So, I mean, listen, a lot of these are just to see reactions. But let's keep in mind that these interviews are only 15 minutes. So they're super, super fast-paced. They only get 15 minutes with this kid. And honestly, you could get more out of the interviews that they do on SiriusXM NFL Network because they sit down with each of these kids for five minutes. You can get a sense for who, you know, who understands the game in five minutes uh, versus like somebody, you know, somebody that comes in is clearly just a meathead, right? And they're just super talented and they're depending on their talent this whole time. That's what those interview processes are really there to do, to determine, okay, on field, we see the tape. Now, are you a total idiot, right? <laughs> are, are you a problem? 
Um, but here's the thing: that, couldn't that all be? Do, but how can you vet that in 15 minutes for millions of dollars? Here's 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 an idea: walk in, sit down in a room, have all 10 people. You know, they, they get, round up these scouts. You could break it. It doesn't even have to be 15 minutes. The whole thing can be five minutes. And there's one question: Are you an idiot? No, I'm not an idiot. Prove it. Leave it open-ended. See how the person responds. They have five minutes to prove to you they're not a dummy. That's it. The reality, the reality is, Drew, if interviews were all that important, Leonis McKelvin never would have been drafted in the first round <laughs> because that guy was here for years and nobody understood what he said. You'd have to have, you'd have, to, you'd have, to have an interpreter. <laughs> Chris, isn't he? Years ago, I think I, I, think I accused him of not – he couldn't read something because it didn't yeah, pick. He wouldn't be able to read – the uh, the Bills playbook because it wouldn't be accompanied by symbols and pictures or something. It like wouldn't. That. It wouldn't. Be, it wouldn't have been in pop up book format. And it would. <laughs> ah, Jesus. All right. So I guess maybe there's a little bit of value, but again, another part of the combine that I can't stand. Another thing chaps my ass. Skin tight outfits. Why? Honey, I love you. I think you're a terrific girl, but you have clothes like a fucking dickhead. Aerodynamic? I mean, you want to tell me that these outfits, I mean, they're not even running in gym shorts. They're out here in this spandex superhero wannabe nonsense. And they talk about, oh, wow, the sensors and the things and the wind speed that it cuts down and the sensors and it can give us all these advanced metrics. Who gives a shit? Some of these guys weigh over 300 pounds. There is no making that guy more aerodynamic. Okay, why is he running around wrapped in saran? I mean, literally, putting these skin-tight outfits on defensive and offensive linemen and making them run the 40, that's the equivalent of putting a spoiler in a trim package on a 1990 Ford Astro van. That's what it equates to. It's ridiculous. Why Why the skin-tight clothes, Paul? Why? Because the, because the NFL sold it to Under Armour. Like, that's what it is, right? That's, that's all it is. It's all merchandising and marketing. So the NFL had something they could sell to somebody, and they sold it to Under Armour. And the NFL makes a butt ton of money off it. It could be tutus and, and all pink. The NFL doesn't care. They don't care. They, Under Armour designs it. Whatever they come up with is what those kids are wearing. Uh, Under Armour has paid to do that, right? The NFL doesn't care. It's a product to sell, man. They don't care. But who's buying it? I'm not going to buy. You know, Chris, I should buy one of those. I should buy an NFL combine outfit and just wear it around. Just offend the fuck out of everyone. Yeah, because everyone's I'm married. Gonna, Who every, do I have left to impress? Everyone's going to want to see the outline of your perfect A cups. <laughs> so you're saying that this is all just cheesy marketing, which seems yeah. to fit the theme 100%. of the entire event. I mean, this whole thing just seems manufactured. I... And then the bane of my existence, the thing that makes me want to slam my face off the front of Chris's fridge, even just thinking about it, the hand size conversation. I understand that there are some positions where you need to know somebody's hand size. Quarterback, okay, can you grip a football? Wide receiver, it helps if your hands are big enough to catch the ball. But even then, to make the deal that people make out of it, I, Paul, it's infuriating to me. I don't even know why. I don't know why it makes me so angry. Explain to me why everyone goes crazy over this hand size nonsense. 
Well, I remember specifically when um, when Buddy Nix was asked about, you know, why E.J. Manuel was going to be the quarterback for the Bills, the first words out of his mouth were, well, he's got the biggest hands in the draft. <laughs> that was his response. Right? That was the first words out of his mouth. And you go back and look at it and say, well, you know, you can hold on to the ball in rough buffalo weather. I mean, listen, the, the truth is that there is some times where hand size makes a difference. If you have under nine and a half inch hands, it is tough to hold an NFL football. They're big. If you have under nine inch hands as a receiver, it's tough to catch a football. These gloves help you a lot, right? So hand size as a receiver isn't as big a deal as it used to be. But hand size as a guard, as a tackle, who cares? These guys are punching each other for a living. Who cares how big their hands are, right? But a quarterback, I, I, I get it a little bit. Wide receiver, again, I get it. Tight end, we're starting to get debatable. Anything outside of that, who cares? Who cares? It doesn't matter. I mean, the whole weigh-in and, oh, let's get their height and their weight and their measurements. This year, the only one that seemed, I mean, everyone was going nuts over this whole Kyler Murray thing. He's a short quarterback. He's a little guy. But they said, oh, well, his hands are big enough, and he's t- he's 5'10". Okay, who gives a fuck? Can you throw a football? There's a reason Russell yeah. Wilson dropped to the third round. Because everybody got too infatuated with, oh, wow, well, he's short. Well, he's short, and he can't see. And what? Who gives a fuck? Can the guy play football? Put away the rulers. Yep. Put away the measurement. Can the guy play football? And so with that, and I guess this is the crux of why you're here, Paul, because I refuse to subject myself to any of this nonsense. But with that said, there may be some value to what's happening over the weekend that I'm just unwilling to recognize. I'll admit that. I Call me shallow. Call me just overly cynical, stubborn. Sure, I fit the bill for all that. First of all, for the interest of our listeners out there who care about this, are there any players who have size issues besides Kyler Murray? that the combine might either prove or disprove? Yeah, so, um, I mean, I'll give you one specific, right? Um, A.J. Brown is, uh, is a wide receiver that you're going to hear attached to the Bills because the Bills have wide receiver issues, right? Um, the talk was that he wasn't very big, and he checks in about uh, just about six foot, right? Um, but not much over that, like almost right on the button, and he's at 226. Uh, for weight. So he's a big six foot at the wide receiver position. Now, the thing that's going to happen is that you go back and you start looking at his tape and you say, okay, well, AJ Brown played at Ole Miss. You know, they throw the ball, you know, they throw the ball an absolute ton. Um, what, what the combine is going to help him with, uh, because again, people are going to be concerned about his size is it's going to back up the fact that this kid only dropped five passes and 90 catchable targets. Right, so AJ Brown is going to put himself apart from a lot of wide receivers, and he's got to overcome the fact that he's only six foot. Being six foot as a wide receiver is bad, right? A lot of people may see that that's okay, but being five eleven, six foot, that puts you in no man's land because teams either want you if you're six two or they want you if you're five eight, right? They they want that big tall receiver or they want that little gadget guy because it puts a player in a box. Being six foot is a problem because teams, you're, are you big enough to play on the outside? Do you have to play in the slot? Well, we got this guy that's five foot eight that, you know, you couldn't catch in a phone booth. So we want him in the slot instead. You know, these guys that are six foot in these median sizes really struggle. So AJ Brown is somebody that he checked in right at six foot. That's going to be a big mark against him. 
because he's not 6'1". If he was 6'1", and I know it's only an inch, but teams really feel like 6'1 is where you start an outside receiver. Anything below that, you're really starting to get dicey. And yet if A.J. Brown goes out there and, uh, I don't know, blows the doors off somebody's production like a John Ross, will anybody Mm -hmm. look back at the combine and say, maybe this is stupid? (laughs) Or will it continue to just be things the NFL quote-unquote knows? Buckle up, Drew. It's going to be a long ride, man. (sighs) Okay. Switching gears to the offense, defense, we're going to go into the trenches. You just spent some time talking about wide receivers. Offensive and defensive line players, especially some of those that have been named, because obviously those are positions of need for the Bills, who could improve their draft stock. I mean, we pick at nine. We're in the top ten. If there's no quarterback there and there's no ability to trade back, we're going to be taking somebody with that ninth pick. So at that point, you're looking at linemen. Linemen are the backbone of any team, and it's something that we're, we're weak on on both sides of the line, or at least could use an infusion of top-end talent. Are there any offensive and defensive linemen that you can name that you think, I don't know, maybe this weekend could improve their draft stock enough that they may be in consideration for being drafted at number nine? Well, the, the knee-jerk reaction is obviously Jonah Williams in Alabama, right? Because obviously the Brian Dable connection um, you know, he checks in, and, one, and I know you don't like the whole micromanaging size thing, but when you start talking about tackles, NFL organizations feel, and this is totally true, you can go to almost any general manager, and they will say, yeah, you know, our starting department really does believe this. If you have under 33-inch arms, you're not long enough in that category to play tackle in the NFL, right? So Jonah Williams comes in at 33 and 5'8". So he's, he's right there, right? He's a little bit lighter than what a lot of teams like for a tackle. Barely over 300 pounds, which sounds massive to me, but it's like two of me, but whatever. <laughs> two um, of you? That's like three of you with a phone book strapped to your back. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Uh, but, you know, if somebody like Jonah Williams makes a lot of sense for the Bills at nine, again, because of the connection. He's a little bit slimmer, but this guy's, this guy's he, he studied Olympic powerlifting, so he's real strong. Like, he, he doesn't pack the weight but he packs the power, and he's, he's real strong. Jonah Williams at nine makes a lot of sense. Once you start getting outside of Jonah Williams, you start running into guys that do have some technical issues that you start looking at nine, and you're saying it's a little bit of a stretch. Um, you know, like guys like Jawan Taylor is out there, but, you know, he's a great run blocker, but he's, I mean, he's got a lot of technical issues. You start running into guys that, that have technical problems. So is there, but so with probably the closest to start right now at nine, if if he was on the board. But so then I guess my question is, are there any of those guys behind him, behind Jonah Williams, who you think could through this combine maybe sneak into that discussion as far as, Hey, if they proved if Juwan Taylor, because it sounds like you're kind of down on him from an athletic standpoint, being able to mirror defenders and being able to, you know, just have the requisite upper body strength to punch accurately and then, you know, kind of kick slide. Is there, is there any way maybe when they actually get into drills, he tests well enough that he may slide into that conversation? I suppose. I mean, one of the issues with Juwan Taylor was the kid was false start central, right? He is really jumpy. Um, and a lot of times what he'll do is um, he'll always err against the side of the speed rusher and he opens up the door on the inside, and the fastest way to the quarterback is is inside, right? So if you can get your tackle moving out, 
um, and then take it back inside. That's the quickest way to the quarterback. Jawan Taylor opens that door. So I don't like Jawan Taylor. He's a good run block, right? So I think you have to talk about what kind of identity do you want this offense to have to really know who the Bills would target. If you're looking at you're going to pound the rock 45 times a game, uh, Jawan Taylor might be your guy because he's, he's a really strong run blocker. But if you're going to ask him to, to kick out and, uh, and kind of protect you, um, you know, he's going to struggle with that because guys are going to be able to cut back in on him, and that's going to be a problem for Josh Allen because, again, the fastest way to the quarterback is inside. Um, you have a guy like Elton, uh, or Elton Jenkins, fun name. Um, he is a center, but he played all over the line. So this kid actually started as left tackle his freshman year and um, then ended up moving to right guard, I think, and then played center the last two years. So in the last three and a half years, he hasn't given up a sack. The only sack that he's given up in the last three and a half years was to Quentin Williams, who's probably a consensus top three pick. You don't really fault him for that one, right? But if you're talking about the Bills looking outside of nine, like a kid that they would trade back up to get, he fits the bill for you because this kid is nasty. He okay. plays big at center. Now, and on the defensive... talk about his, his football IQ is off the charts. Well, so... Switching gears to the defensive side of the ball, are there guys who maybe have quite, because this is a defensive tackle and defensive end heavy class, along the defensive line, are there guys with enough questions that they, because I know that there's the argument, the Rashad Garys and the Ed Olivers of the world, you know, who, I can't wait till this whole combine bullshit is over so that we can actually get down to breaking down draft classes by position, but I just, I think about the guys like Ed Oliver, who at one point was thought of, you know, at some points last year, he was talked about as being a potential number one overall pick this year. And then he had a down year, he was injured, he sat out because he chose to protect his future. So he didn't get as much tape as the other guys did, and now he's not being talked about the same way. Are there guys like him who, if they come out and put on a freak combine, might creep back up into those types of conversations? Yeah, one kid that could absolutely explode um, is uh, a kid by the name of, you might not know him, Dramont Jones from Ohio State. Now, again, you always have, you always have Ohio State players high on your board. I hate Ohio you know, State. Tackle. I, the Ohio I State are the New England Patriots of college football, and so I watch yeah. all of their games just because I want to I be there the day they lose. And so far the last two years in a row, it's been an absolute party. I love it. I think more yeah. people would say yeah. that about and, Alabama. <laughs> yeah, roll tide. That's true. That's true. Roll tide. Um, I do the same thing whenever a cornerback from Ohio State gets drafted. I just go, come on, guys. You know this doesn't work. Um, but teams still do it. Jermont uh, Jones is a guy who really could help his draft stock here because at defensive tackle, he's under 300 pounds. And, I mean, really light for a defensive tackle. So here's a kid that, like, when we talk about the broad jump, when we talk about the 40-yard dash, a 40-yard dash for a defensive lineman normally isn't a big deal. You're looking only at the first 10 yards, right? So while they run the 40-yard dash, there's the 10-yard split, the 20-yard split, and the 40, right? So for a defensive lineman, you're typically looking at that first 10 yards to see explosiveness, right? See how quick they can get going. And then you're looking at the first 20 yards to see can they maintain or can they accelerate, right? Uh, so Jermont Jones is a little bit undersized. Again, he played DT uh, at Ohio State. If he's going to play in the NFL, he's got to slide outside. And drills with the combine could really boost his stock by showing him as explosive. He's not going to be a, he's not going to be a defensive tackle. It's not going to happen. He's under 300 pounds. He has trouble keeping the weight on. 
but he's got really great a really great skill set, but he's got to prove that he can play on the edge. So there's a kid that, again, depending on how the drills go, you might see him skyrocket if he shows explosive in, like, broad jump, the vertical, the 10-yard split, and the 40-yard dash. His name could fly up draft board. And then just to satisfy my morbid curiosity, give me two names on offense and two names on defense, virtual unknowns that I know you're keeping an eye on or somebody that I should be, just because I'm going to see it. I, the, guy, the, the guys that you think are going to get a lot of press, like you said, the workout warriors, the guys who show up out of nowhere. If you have some of those names that you could throw out there to caution against, who would they be? So guys that you're looking to avoid, you're saying? Well, I'm looking uh, at guys that I that. haven't heard of, and yet you you have a feeling they're going to have a strong enough workout that all of a sudden, three weeks from now as we're heading towards the draft, people are going to be talking about them. Yeah, okay. Number one, 100% is Debo Samuel, wide receiver from South Carolina. I am not good on this kid at all. Um, I, I know this kid, is he breaks a lot of tackles. I know that's the deal with him. Um, he's sort of that quick twitch slot receiver like you see, but I don't think this kid can catch a football day to life, man. I really struggle to see how he's going to test probably really well in all the speed categories and all the elusiveness categories, but dear Lord, he just doesn't run a route very well, and he lets that football get so inside. Like we talk about Zay Jones all the time. Let the football get inside and his body catches a lot of stuff. Debo Samuel is right on path with that. Um, so Debo Samuel probably is going to test really well, but I am full of full avoidance mode as far as that's concerned. I'm not in on Debo Samuel at all. Keep him away. And then on the defensive side of the ball, who do you got? I'm never a fan of Notre Dame linebackers. Ever, ever, ever. Trevon Connie. Not loving him. He's gonna he's gonna grade out really well in all your lateral movement drills. So like your three cone drill because he moves really well in coverage. Um, but oh man, I just don't like his football IQ. I think he gets caught up really quick. Um, and again, I'm not a big Notre Dame linebacker fan. I never have been. I just don't think that they produce great linebackers. I don't think they look for the right stuff to get the right talent there. Um, and Trevon Conley is somebody that I am sticking as far away from as possible as I can because a lot of people are going to see him as, you know, a good, strong side linebacker because he can bring some pass rush. He's really good in coverage, but keep him away from me. Is his girlfriend real? <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. Chris Kruger with the tough questions, folks. Paul, thank you so much for joining us tonight and walking us through this nonsense. I hope you have fun with whatever the hell it is you're going to spend your weekend watching. I will not be party to it. I refuse. I, I get it. I get it. But I do want to put one name out there that Drew, I want you to pay attention to. In the combine, just check in on it in the next couple of days, and here's a name I want you to pay attention to because I really feel like this kid is a target for Buffalo at the wide receiver position, right? And he's a wide receiver from Stanford. His last name's ridiculous. It's Arcega Whiteside. Okay, and here's the reason why. You talk about a kid that's really tall, but he's one of the best contested catch wide receivers in college football, right? So uh, the one thing I want you to be able to do, because a lot of people are talking about, well, yeah, he's really great at muscling up to the ball with body position. He does a lot of things really well on tape, but he looks to get off the line slow. When you talk about a receiver getting off the line slow, it's one of two things. Either they're just simply not very explosive. Uh, Zay Jones fits that category, right? He's not explosive. Zay Jones run, ran a 4-5. He's fast, but he's the same speed at step three as he is at step 12, 
right? It, it's the same speed. Um, so he just doesn't look explosive. So our Sega white side, they're saying that he's just not explosive off the line. So it's either technique, right, where they run under themselves for the first couple steps, so that you can coach that out of a kid, right? Or it's just simply they're not very explosive. So I want you to chime in and pay attention to the broad jump for our Sega white side. If this kid could put up top 10 numbers in the wide receiver group, his draft stock's going to skyrocket because he does a lot of things really, really, really well, but the concern is that he's not explosive. The 40-yard dash doesn't really tell you that because it's measuring long speed. You're going to look at his 10-yard, his 20-yard split, and his broad jump. I'm telling you, if this kid puts up top 10 numbers in those categories, the Bills are going to be connected to him all day, every day until this draft happens. Paul? That sounds like fun. I'll go, uh, I'd rather go dig a hole in the backyard. Where can we find you on social media? Paul, with all due respect, and I mean this with all due respect, I would rather spend the weekend wiping my ass with 60 grit sandpaper than paying attention to wide receiver long jumps. I'm just not going to do it. All right, I'll I'll just text you about it. <laughs> of course That's, you will. We'll just play that game. That's fine. Of course you will. Paul, where can we find your stuff? Uh, so that's at htagsports.com. Um, and, of course, on the YouTube, just search hashtag sports again. We have shows literally five or six days a week. They're all about five, 10, 15 minutes and always, you know, revolving topics. So we're super engaged. If you leave a comment, we always get back to you. So um, that's where you find us. And, and on Twitter, if, we, if people want to interact with you throughout the weekend to tell you what, uh, a, yeah, what, what a terrible I idea it is to watch fat guys run around in spandex, where can they tweet at you? Yeah, that's at htag sports. I always forget about Twitter. Thank you, Drew. I appreciate that. <laughs> Anytime. All right. And since we just had Paul on, hashtag sports, Twitter, YouTube, find them on the Internet. They're there. Uh, it's a combine, so the only thing that we have to do is take the... Our annual Wonderlick competition. Chris, last year I beat you by a score of 12 to 11 at taking the Wonderlick test. Now, for those of you at home who don't understand the Wonderlick, it's a test that's meant to, I don't know, kind of prognosticate where you might end up in life. It, it gives a, doing 12, 50 questions in 12 minutes, it basically gives you processing speed. How fast can you process information? Last year, I beat Chris by a score of 12 to 11. Now, mind you, we're dumb. We were drinking during the process, as we have been tonight. Chris, with all qualifiers, has a cold. So he's been nursing his... And I have, I've, I've had five uh, whiskey and Cokes. Compared to your uh, onslaught, your nine nine beers and one cocktail. Don't go go about qualifying my drinking. Just at the end of the day, we're here, we're drinking, we're taking the Wonderlick, and we're trying to figure out who between the two of us is smarter. Who's meant for more? Who's meant for better things? Last year, I proved that I'm far more advanced than Chris is when it comes to doing janitorial work. That's where we both ended up. We sucked. I bet Gretzky and Bullet could have finished better <laughs> with better scores. And they, My dogs. They don't even have thumbs. My dogs could have done better than we did. So we're going to retake it, and we're going to see where we end up. All right, we're here in the kitchen, slightly liquored up, about to take the Wonderlick test. We're using free Wonderlick tests dot com for this 12 minutes 50 questions 
I'm on my fifth cocktail. Drew's eight beers in, so that's kind of equal, I guess. How's it not? Like, I can't keep up with you in beers. I had a Seagram's. Oh, yeah, you did, you did have a Seagram's earlier. In seven seconds. All right, here we go. You're going to click take the full test on the left side of the screen here. All right, uh, three, two, one. Of course, we're using pen and paper for all the math questions. Of course, we start off. I get these series numbers questions. I don't like these. Gallant and bold have blank meanings. I just got that question, too. Oh, I bet you fucked it up because you suck and you're terrible. <laughs> Gallant and bold. I don't, I've never heard of the first word. Of course, because you're an idiot. There are three times the amount of monkeys compared to elephants in the zoo. If there are 88 monkeys and, <laughs> and elephants in total, how many monkeys are there in a zoo? That made no sense. Yep. This is this test. This is what we're doing, Chris. I'm halfway there and I got three and a half to go. Flying through. I know, I know you are. I can tell. Trans-substitute? Trans I don't know what that word is. It's too long. It hurts my brain. Chris, these questions are loaded. They're meant for people far more intelligent than we are. Than you are. I'm intelligent as fuck. All right. We're all done here. Do you want to reveal the scores? Yeah. What did you get, Chris? I got 25 out of 50 points. How many questions did you answer? I only got to like 40-something. I got 25 correct. Okay. No, no. 25 of 50 questions answered correctly. That means I got 25 correct. Okay. I only got to question 26. So there's no way. But I got 10 of 50 answered. I got 10 of those questions answered correctly. Yeah, the ones that you don't get to, didn't get to see, you got wrong. The ones I didn't get to see, I got My wrong. My average score is listed as 51.58%. Dang, and I think you and I evened out when they, when they match it up against what you answered against what you didn't. I think we averaged out at the same. No, you didn't. You got 10 of 50. Yep. Your score is 20%. Your score is 20%. Mine is 50%. I win in a landslide. I'll, I'll see you in hell. I'm, I'm, I'll see you in hell, Taxi I'm Cat. literally going to send this audio to Ryan Lacell. That's the first person I'm going to send this audio to is Ryan Lacell. Well, there you have it. I whipped your ass in the Wonderlick. I got 25 right to your 10, which again proves that you are dumb. You're dumber than a janitor. You getting 10, you getting 10 questions right out of 50, you, you should be a shift supervisor at Dollar General. Not assistant manager, not a manager, shift supervisor at Dollar General. You're dumb. Listen! I, I plead the fifth. I'd like to say that somehow my, somehow my score went backwards from last year, which yeah, you got dumber. Which is almost impossible because last year I qualified for janitorial work. Ugh. Well, folks, we learned a lot tonight. Or at least Chris did. 
I learned I learned a lot over the last year. You haven't. We've, I, we've probably learned that you should get your liver looked at. And really. Hilariously enough, that's more interesting than anything going on at the Combine. Guys, thank you so much for coming out tonight. Go ahead and check out our roundtable with the Rams Talk podcast. They do an annual thing over there with us. I think there's a Chicago Bears, a San Diego Chargers, and a Carolina Panthers. Carolina Panthers contributor. They get us all together. They get us all ramped up about certain topics, and we just discuss them. This time it was our take, us ruining what we predicted in the offseason. You should go check it out. We're going to have links in the description. Give it a listen. It's worth the time. Chris, I can't say that anything that we're still doing here is worth it. Let's get the fuck out of here. I got to go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Thank you for showing up for the Rockpile Report podcast.